Lean, Scrum, Scramban, XP Safe, Dad, Less, DSDM, Kaizen, Kanban. Sound familiar? Well, these are just a few of the frameworks out there for delivering Agile. But what's best and why? Keep listening to this podcast to understand how you can create agility in your projects and the benefits of a Kanban approach and toolkit. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Ashton, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Welcome to the DPM podcast. We're on a mission to help project managers succeed, to help people who manage projects deliver better. We're here to help you take your project game to the next level. Check out the digitalprojectmanager.com to learn about our training and resources we offer through membership. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. So today I'm joined by Dimitar Karaifanov and Dimitar is an engineer turned CEO and he's the co-founder of Kanbanize. He's a lean thinker, uh, he's a Kanban practitioner, and he's got a background in software development and process improvement. He's written a couple of books, Lean Software Development with Kanban and How Can Portfolio Kanban Benefit Your Business? I think you get the picture. He's passionate about Kanban. So hello, Dimitar. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you and with your audience. So I'm looking forward to, to this podcast. Yeah, great to have you. And obviously, you're massively passionate about Kanban, and you've built a whole uh, product around Kanbanize. But in your role as the CEO, I'm curious as to what that actually means. What does, it, what does a typical day look like for you as CEO, as, as co-founder of Kanbanize? Yeah, as a, as a CEO of a company, and especially a sort of late startup stage company, you wear a lot of hats. So I, I typically talk to a lot of customers as I fill in the product management shoes quite often. Right. Then I would talk to engineering to just convey the feedback we've gotten from customers. I would engage in enterprise sales. And of course, I will tip into strategy whenever time permits because it's an important piece of what CEOs do. Um, and um, by the way, strategy can also be applied with Kanban. So maybe we should find uh, a few minutes to talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but before we dig into to that, I'm curious to understand a bit more about your origin story. How did you get into making project management software? Yeah, that's typically how it happens out of need. I was right. um, I was the change agent for a, a big German company. We were transitioning from waterfall processes to agile processes, and um, we transitioned uh, like 500 people from this old way of doing projects into um, Scrum. Back then, Scrum was the norm uh, for any new agile implementation. And uh, we trained everybody on Scrum. We had a bunch of Agile teams, like 25 or more. But we discovered that uh, while the teams were able to somewhat uh, deliver in a stable manner, it was uh, a mess on the management level where the bigger pieces of work were. And in in our case, that that were features, epics, things like that. And I, I figured that we were lacking the tools to manage both the team level and the management slash coordination level. And uh, that's how Combinize was born, actually, uh, with the goal to scale Agile across uh, the organization. Cool. And so 
obviously starting a PM tool for the first time and building it, you must have drawn inspiration from other tools that you thought you liked and also inspiration from tools you knew you didn't like because you thought you needed to build one yourself. Where did that original spark of inspiration come from? We were using Jira at that company. Uh, yeah. It's the big uh, 300-pound Godzilla anywhere you go. So it has a bunch of cool stuff in it, but this scaling piece, especially eight or nine years ago, um, was, if not completely missing, then very limited. So um, while it has a lot of good concepts in it that we derived from, um, the, the real inspiration of how we scale a Kanban and Agile across organization actually came more from a physical Kanban board. So what we do with Kanban right. is we try to mimic how you would in, uh, visualize your work on a physical Kanban board with the great add-on that it's digital and you can connect it with multiple other teams uh, and aggregate the data for the management to look and take um, informed decisions. So it's it's yeah. two. It's two tools, actually, Jira and physical command boards. Right. And um, I'm obviously, you make your own project management tool, but I'm, I'm interested in finding out what other tools um, Kanbanize integrates with or that you also use in parallel with Kanbanize um, to, to manage your company or anything that you found. Actually, anything, any tools that you found that have been uh, working well for you or that you've just discovered that you think are pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I would not miss Microsoft Teams because that's, uh, I think it's the fastest growing application in the history of the internet. Yeah. It's, it's a killer. We use it uh, at Kanbanize. Um, so I would spend a lot of time on Teams, especially these days when we all work remotely. And then I would spend probably half of my day into a tool that's called Flowy. It's flow-e.com. And surprisingly, right. it's a tool by our company. It's companizing right. your email. So it's a visualization layer on top of your Outlook email that turns your um, inbox into a Kanban board where you could visualize your emails and maintain conversations in a Kanban-like view. So this is a lifesaver for me. Uh, I would literally die without this tool. So I would recommend it. It's free. So everybody can go ahead and try it out. Oh, I'll check it out. Yeah. My, um, I was just looking now at my, yeah, currently unread emails, 1,189. So if I haven't replied to email yet, um, <laughs> that will go in my yeah. to read column. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that's, that's how we came up with flowy actually, because it was, it was just too painful to maintain all the streams of information. So I, I recommend it. I'll check that out. Cool. So let's talk about Kanbanize. Obviously you're the CEO of Kanbanize and uh, this was your brainchild along with the rest of the kind of initial startup team. But we've kind of dipped into the water with what Kanbanize is. So it's a digital Kanban board with some, uh, because it's digital, it, it gives us some uh, improved pre predictability. It gives us some analytics and data uh, as well as some rules right. that we can use. But um, what would you say, I mean, Kanbanize, is obviously great for people who are running projects in a Kanban uh, workflow. But yeah, who's your kind of perfect uh, market fit? Who do you find uses your Kanbanized tool? We are a 
specifically designed for engineering companies. And that might be software engineering, that might be IT slash dev operations. And that could be non-IT engineering, like manufacturing, construction, things like that. We have a lot of successful customers um, in the engineering space, uh, but we also um, get used by marketing teams or operations teams, like um, in, um, let's say, banking or insurance. This is also a great fit. Um, it's generally two types of use cases. One, the project management type of use case is what I just mentioned, engineering. And then the service management is um, banking and insur- insurance. So those type of customers are the ideal fit. And um, um, when we talk about project management, I would love to extend ex- expand on that. Uh, if, you, if you want me to, yeah. how people do it, what, uh, what's, what's the specific stuff about Kanbanais and all that. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, so th- there's a real challenge. From my experience, we see that project management people tend to plan projects, mm. uh, tend to estimate projects, and then uh, this plan is somehow converted into tasks or work items, and those work items typically live in some other system. So we have a perfect plan somewhere on a PowerPoint or in Microsoft Project, and then the actual work lives in Jira or somewhere else. Right. And then how do you get information about the real status? Well, there's no other way but go ask for status. Yeah. And then uh, bug people. How how far have we gotten here? Uh, what uh, what's the percent complete for this task and all that? So we said, all right, we can solve this problem with Kanban and specifically Kanbanize by connecting the planning with the execution. So we have a special layer in Kanbanize where you plan the work, a special layer where you execute the work, uh, but those two are connected and they pass feedback from one to the other. Right. So when the team starts working on something, the information is automatically propagated to the management layer where the plan is, and for example, if we see that the, the plan is going to fail, we just notify the project manager and they will automatically know that something's wrong. So instead <laughs> of waiting one week, go ask for status and then realize, oh, uh, I'm going to be late, then uh, you just get this notification and you, you can act on it. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> you get this notification, your project's going to fail. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it <a> quickly. <laughs> yeah. Warning, that must be the email that everybody is dreading. <laughs> Disaster has struck. You are now running behind. Yeah. No, that's cool. So um, I think obviously the crux of that is that uh, people in the team, and I think this is a challenge with any tool, it's only as good as, uh, people kind of update it and you know the the challenge that you're solving there is um yeah the project manager has to go around and ask people okay so you're on this task what percentage are you of the way through so that i can update my gantt chart um and we can work out that way how, how the project is progressed but this requires the people involved in the project uh, to update the cards themselves right with completion uh, and guessing time tracking is in there as well but in my experience of using a tool like Jira, people forget to update cards and update statuses and things like that. So I'm curious how you've kind of built the system to accommodate for um, 
or or how you think or how does it work within Kanbanize to kind of get this uh, real time view of what people are actually doing and uh, and encouraging them to update the status of things. You're right. That's that's a problem, and um, the the way you go about solving this problem is actually relying on the Kanban method. Uh, the Kanban method is a, a big a body of knowledge. By the way, it's not just a whiteboard on the wall. There's a whole thing called the Kanban maturity model that that codifies more than 150 Kanban practices in it. So if if anybody is interested. Please take a take a look at the KMM Kanban maturity model, so that you see what a mature Kanban implementation actually means. So, with that said, there's one thing in in the Kanban method that's called feedback loops, and the feedback loops are um, nothing but regular meetings that you do on a daily, weekly, monthly, or quarterly basis. So, yeah. one of those meetings is the, the kind of daily Kanban meeting or the daily stand-up meeting where the, the team goes in front of the board. So if, if it's a digital board, you, you can have a big screen with the board visualized on it. And we go through each of the cards that's currently in progress and, and we talk about the progress there. So we don't talk about the person and what they did yesterday or today, we talk about the work. Um, what happened with this card? Has it been updated? Does it need to be moved somewhere? Is it on the right position? So we ensure that at, le- at least once every day, the cards will be moved to the right position. So that that's what I can tell. Yeah, that's good. And I think it's also interesting that focus on the work rather than the person, because I'm sure people listening have been in stand-ups where and I see this actually we use a tool called Standuply, uh, which I think is a really cool integration for Slack. Um and it it asks questions of the team every day. Um, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? Have you got any blockers? And it's a great way to have an asynchronous stand-up. So check out Standuply. But um uh one challenge with that is the <laughs> people will often say, and this happens in real life as well as on Slack, what did you do yesterday? Um, and they'll just talk about a task. What are you doing today? They'll say, mention the same task, building widget. What did you do yesterday? Build widget. What do you, any blockers? No. And it's like, okay, well that, that didn't really help. Um, so and yeah. we haven't really got any more insight on what's going on. So, um, focusing on the work rather than the person just saying their, their phrase that they say, what are you working on? The widget, um, I think that's a, a useful tip. So, so thanks for that. But in terms of, I mean, you talked about you using um, Jira, and obviously Jira has bought Trello, which is also a Kanban tool. Um, but I'm curious how you kind of perceive Kanbanize to be different from other tools out there. Um, yeah, I will refer that to the KMM again. So the Kanban maturity model is talks about six levels of maturity and each level corresponds to different practices. Of course, from from the most simple ones to to the most complex ones. And um, tools like Trello, they would be able to take you to maturity level one or two just because they're lacking um, the necessary features um, for a fully capable Kanban implementation. 
For example, right. Trello is, is missing completely work in progress limits. I think yeah. you can get those with some add-on, but even if you do, it's just a column whip limit. And with a, a decent Kanban tool like Kanbanize, you, you can limit work in progress across multiple columns, across horizontal lanes, across um, different boards, across people. So it's a really, there's a, a big emphasis on, on the Kanban-like features. When we talk about metrics, um, even in Jira, you wouldn't get uh, out of the box uh, the necessary flow metrics uh, like cycle time, scatter plot, uh, like Monte Carlo simulations for forecasting that's based on your historical throughput and things like that. You could um, you could get those, but it's always through an add-on. It's usually a paid add-on, which adds cost on top of everything. Yeah. And quite frankly, it, it rarely works well enough when it's just um, this piece taken from that tool and that piece taken from that tool and stitched uh, together. So um, I can summarize that Kanbanize is really meant to, you know, to, to cover sophisticated Kanban scenarios, especially uh, when we talk about scaling that across the organization and allowing uh, senior management to, to take informed decisions. Trello is just a team kind of tool. It's great for one team, but if you want to yeah. go above that, it's it's I don't I don't know if it's even possible. Uh, with Jira, it's possible, but it, it relies on um, more like on Scrum and not on on Kanban as an underlying data collection mechanism. So in Jira, you would forecast based on your historical velocity, which is the, right. the cumulative. Um, uh, points that you're able to get sprint by sprint, but that's yeah. entirely based on um, on the forecasting and the gut feeling of the team. While in Kanban, you forecast based on what actually happened, your historical throughput. So it's it it might look like a very tiny difference, but um, if you try to scale um, the implementation of 20, 30, 40 teams, then you will re- quickly realize that one team um, means when they say 20 points, they mean something, and the other team right. uh, means something completely different. And then you have to yeah. do some normalization of story points. <laughs> it's just a total nightmare that, that quite frankly, doesn't work. So uh, yeah. in the Kanban world, we will forecast based on what actually happens, and that's a fundamental difference that is super important, in my opinion. Yeah. So and I think just taking a kind of a high-level view of Kanban. So what Dimitar has been talking about is some of these underlying principles of Kanban and how Kanbanite is a great fit for that because um, in order – the Kanban system relies on – or really the, the, I think, my understanding anyway, of the the underlying idea is let's try and increase throughput. And we increase throughput by actually minimizing the number of things we're working on at any one time. So when we're talking about limiting work in progress, what we're trying to do is make sure people are a bit more focused and not trying to do six different things, but actually completing one thing, getting it out the door before we move uh, or before we kind of split our focus on working on three different things at once. And I'm sure everybody who's um, ever worked in an agency with multiple clients is very familiar with this scenario where you have multiple clients being worked on at the same time, uh, deadlines that are conflicting with one another. 
And the idea of Kanban is actually if we reduce the amount of things we're working on, we can increase the throughput um, and the efficiency of of the way that we work. And we do that by by limiting work in progress. And I think that's a really important principle of Kanban. It's uh, let's just be focused on fewer things and actually we'll get more done uh, right. at the end of it. Right. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. There's just one caveat to that. And is that if you limit work in progress too much, then you can actually hinder your throughput. So there's a fine balance between being fast enough and having um, the best possible throughput. Uh, that's where every organization has to experiment and find um, that level of work in progress that's optimal for them and for their context. So what a lot of times people would ask us, well, what's the best work in progress limit? And we'll always say, we don't know because we don't know what your yeah. context is. You just have to experiment. You have the data at your fingertips. So you take a look, you inspect every week what the throughput is. Is that satisfactory? And if it is, then you've just found your perfect web limit. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And I'm curious as to where Kanbanize is heading. So what's what's on your roadmap? Where do you see Kanbanize being in five, 10 years time? Oh, five, 10 years is a very long period in my head. <laughs> but okay, okay I can, six weeks. Uh, six weeks, all right. <laughs> I can definitely tell you that we are going towards um, more and more offloading the project manager as um, what decision have, has to be taken. So instead of instead of having a person having to calculate stuff and estimate stuff uh, and, and try to play what-if scenarios, we would like to answer those questions out of the box. So the project right. manager should be um, free to focus more on the actual value that's being generated and not so much on mm. are we going to generate this value. So we want to completely take over this um, monitoring um, and notification part by introducing specific um, statistical algorithms. Uh, why not artificial intelligence? I, I'm very careful thro throwing the AI word because <laughs> everybody now speaks AI. Um, and and yeah. the reality is that in, in what we do, the statistical algorithms like Monte Carlo simulations, for example, provide better accuracy than um, the AI algorithms that exist. So if somebody is claiming that they forecast a Kanban system based on AI, they are probably not doing a pure AI machine learning stuff. But I, I think the industry is going that way for sure. So um, we should find algorithms that... Um, will provide better accuracy than the statistical algorithms. So <clears throat> this is the direction of loading the PMs to do other important work and not just monitoring and then writing state status reports. Yeah, so I mean, let's talk about that. So obviously, most of our listeners are people managing projects or um, project managers, maybe product managers as well. But what? how do you see... Uh, with the kind of evolution of tools like Cabinize to take on much more of that um, forecasting, uh, kind of planning component of of the work. Well, I guess the the administration side of it, you know, finding out 
what's going on in a project and reporting it, uh, which is quite kind of boring work. And instead, you talked about adding, being more focused on value generation. So how do you see the role of the project manager changing and evolving? Um, and I'm and when you're talking about value generation, that kind of, to me, sounds like more product management um, and product ownership as we're thinking about, okay, uh, delivering incremental value. So I'm curious as to how you see that role evolving and changing. Yeah, I think the project manager should more and more be the interface that in not only flows the data through, meaning communication requirements, deadlines, things like that, yeah. but also enriches this data. It, it, it puts the data to, to doubt and the questions is that is it the right thing we're building or is it the right service we are producing? So to me, the project manager should be um, um, the person that is pushing the system into further evolution. Uh, that are These are people that ask the, the right questions and the, and the tough questions. A lot of project managers nowadays would only talk to the customer, get the requirements, put them in the requirements tool and pass that to development. And when the development right. is done, they would go back to the customer and they would say, hey, this is done. Uh, let's uh, see how we deliver that. I think that's valuable, uh, but just partially valuable. Uh, I think those guys should be the ones to um, enrich this data channel by um getting the needs of the customer, not just writing up a requirement. And when they when they have enough time to do that, when when they, when they don't have to produce the reports and uh, do the timesheets and do the budgeting stuff, when that is offloaded to the software they, they're working with, then I think they can focus much more uh, on what is actually being produced and is it the best uh, solution for the problem that's underlying this uh, feature request or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh I think that sounds like a good plan. And I, w- I want to ask you in terms of I mean we've talked about the future of project management and how um our role changes as we get better data and we can focus on understanding the needs of users and customers and translating that more accurately into the requirements um and making making sure we're delivering value. But I mean we've talked about um AI and the, the the importance of AI or accuracy, I guess, um, within tools. But how do you see overall the PM tool landscape changing? And I'm curious how you're adjusting to that. Obviously, we have players like Jira who bought out Trello, um, some consolidation happening there. And then we have, I guess, more startup-y tools like ClickUp who come in and try and create a system to manage everything, um, a, kind of an all-in-one solution to everyone. Um, but with a, again, a defined, uh, workflow. So I'm curious how you see this, your competitive landscape changing and how you're adjusting to that. Um, yeah, you're right. There are a, a plethora of tools out there, especially when we talk about managing smaller teams work. Uh, I think there are thousands of those. And if, if anybody's trying to, to penetrate that market, um, they must be optimists because it's it's real challenge on there. So 
Yeah. What we do with Kanbanize is that um, we, we we turn our product not just into a team management solution, but uh, we are heading into actually a, an agile portfolio management solution. And the functionality is partially there. It's obviously a big, 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 big task. So it takes 10 years to build that, but we're 80% through. So um, just 20% left um, to, to really close the gap there. Um, and in that area, the agile portfolio management landscape, you, you basically get a bunch of Godzillas that rely on Scrum and story points, yeah. which I think is okay, but um, it, it's not going to be the future. The future uh, is, is, well, that might might be biased, but I think the future is what we'll build. <laughs> oh, that's not based on um, what people think is going to happen, but based on what actually happens and uh, building those informational highways th- from the teams to the senior management and, and back. So uh, to, to cut a long story short, I think um, the, the tooling is is consolidating around the concepts of scaling stuff across the organization. Uh, those team team level tools they will always going to exist, and the, there will be the new one with the magnificent user experience that solves uh, the problem for three people but fails to solve the problem on a, on a larger scale. So those are going to come in and come out all the time. That's that's a given. Uh, but the ones that are going to win big time are the ones that uh, will solve this huge problem of how do we get agility on a company scale. Yeah. Cool. Well, and let's talk about, um, I mean, you've written an article, and if you haven't uh, had a chance to check it out yet, Dimitar's written a great article, and it's called Kanban Powered Business Agility. You can check that out on the digitalprojectmanager.com. And he offers a whole bunch of tips for implementing a Kanban approach but uh, first, I just want to touch on business agility, because I think this is kind of what you're touching on just a second ago. Um, what what does that really mean to you? What is business agility? To me, business agility means um, our ability to satisfy our markets through rapid learning cycles, through experimentation and, and, and adaptation. So to me, business agility is not... Um, a framework that you implement or right. uh, some abbreviation that you claim you're doing. Uh, it's nothing but the ability to experiment quickly, learn as an organization, and then use this knowledge to produce more value for your customers. So that's, to me, business utility. And obviously, you're a massive proponent of Kanbanize. Oh, sorry, Kanban. And yep. uh, you called Kanbanize after Kanban. Um, everything, everything is is Kanban orientated. So, obviously, I mean, a second ago you were um, comparing, I guess, Kanban to Scrum. Um, and I, I'm curious why you kind of um, pinned your colors on the Kanban mast, and why you think it's best suited. For business agility, what do you think it's good for? But then, what do you also recognize it's bad for? That's a great question, and um, the answer is related to one of the principles of Kanban, which says start where you are, yeah. and then evolve experimentally. What I just said uh, a minute ago. Um, th- there's no alternative that I'm aware of that tells you if you want to be agile, 
or if you want to improve your business agility, start with what you do now and then improve it. Yeah. It's always a, a big jump that you have to do in order to get better. It's always restructure your teams or it's always get um, that certification and then let's build an agile train and whatnot. And Kanban just says, all right, start where you are, visualize what's currently happening on a board and then ask the questions, how can we do this better? Uh, so I think this is a humane approach to agility mm. uh, because yeah. it, it doesn't cause too much stress for the organization, at least initially. It can cause a lot of stress if you do come on right. Uh, and it will cause a lot of stress if you do come on right. But it's an evolutionary process and then people are prepared for it and they embrace it. That's my experience, at least. So uh, I think that's why Kanban is so much better than anything else that we know today. It's because it's a humane approach. And uh, yeah. when you do it right, it will reduce um, stress. It will reduce overburdening of the people working in the organization. And uh, this is also another factor why Kanban is, is a humane approach. It's because it helps people enjoy the work that they're doing. It helps them focus on a few things at a time, do it better, and not constantly try to put put out fires and, and then switch from one thing to the other to the other. Um, that's why, what I believe Kanban is, is great for. And oh, yeah. the, the bad parts of Kanban, and I, I, I'm not sure if it's Kanban's fault, to be honest. I think the biggest problem with Kanban is that people think it's just um, a visual board on the wall. And right. as I said multiple times already, Kanban is a huge body of knowledge. Um, there's at least a dozen uh, books written about Kanban. So I encourage the, the, the listeners to, to, to research about it. There's much more to it than a whiteboard. Yeah, and I, but but in 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 some ways though, uh, the <laughs> the upside of that is that lots of people do know what Kanban is, uh, which in in terms of the process. And I think if if you ask someone to explain Scrum or you ask them to explain Kanban, um, you could explain Kanban in its simplest form much more quickly and easily than you could. Sorry, you could, I don't know what I just said, but you can explain Kanban much more simply and easily than you could Scrum, where you have to explain, well, okay, we've well, got this backlog and then you've got this sprint and you need to pull these items in and then you, this happens and then there's this ceremony and then there's this happens, then this happens. And it's a framework that, like you say, and I liked the way that you kind of framed Kanban as a more human um, or a lighter entry point into the world of Agile where actually you don't have to completely change the way that you your delivery framework. You don't have to run in sprints. Uh, you don't have to do the different ceremonies. Like there's Scrum dictates a lot of things, um, which can be helpful things, but it can be a lot to take on all in one big bite. And you have to do a lot of reshaping uh, the process, whereas Kanban can be a bit more of a softer entry point into running things uh, more efficiently. Yeah, and I think it's actually a more reasonable thing to do because if we go somewhere in, uh, without dipping into the context, we say, hey, you should do this and you're going to be better. Uh, I think it might be a, a little bit arrogant of us to, to do that yeah. 
Because if a company has a successful business and if they have managed to to deliver a product, a service that's uh, appreciated by the customer, then they must know something, right? <laughs> they they must know how um, they they build stuff, how they deliver stuff. So they know something. Mm. And if we go ahead and, and we eliminate that something because we believe our framework is the best thing on the planet, then I think it's arrogant. It's much better to go there and say, hey, okay, let's see what exactly we're doing here and then improve from there. I think that's, in, in any case, anywhere, in life, in business, in school, I think that's the better approach. And in your in your post, you talk about um, refining your workflow, which is kind of what you're talking about here. You know, we, we find a, an easy access point, uh, we get in, and then we then we start refining things. Um, we want to reduce waste. We want to be lean. Uh, we want to potentially reduce the work in progress so it can be a bit more focused and deliver more quickly, value more efficiently. But how how does that workflow refinement actually happen? I mean, it's an easy word to say, but how, how do you refine your workflow? We typically do this um, through what we call queues. And, and work in progress limits. So when you start working on, on, a, on a visual board, if you are diligent and if, you, if you're not really mature into the Kanban and Lean subjects, um, then I bet over time you, you would see a, a bunch of cards piling up on the board somewhere. And then that column is likely a problematic spot on the workflow right it's it's either too slow or um, um, the, the the stage before it is too too fast so it's flooding the downstream with too much work that the, the downstream cannot actually catch up with so uh, when you have a situation like this um, you should um, you should pause and reflect on the situation ask yourself hey why are we seeing this work pile up here? And then uh, what would typically happen is we would either introduce new columns, the, the so-called ready columns. So if you have a, a process that's um, working on and then uh, review and then done, we would introduce a, a column between working on and review that's called ready for review. Right. And then we will see whether the cards under ready for review are piling up or not. And if they are, it means that our review phase um, is is uh, a bottleneck. It it cannot catch up with the amount of work that um, the, the the working on is producing. So we can limit the work in progress under the the ready for review column. And then when we fill it up, then the previous column should stop producing any more work and go help the reviewers. Um, so. Uh, that's the typical thinking process. You, 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 you see work piling up somewhere. Yeah. You go inspect, you, you refine the workflow if needed, you apply whip limits if needed, then you run again, you see what happens, and you, you do this all the time. And with the goal of trying to reduce the, those bottlenecks. So what we don't right. want is cards piling up and work not being completed, which... Ultimately, yeah. is where we see the value being created is when things are actually finished, not just moved along necessarily. 
Right, right, right. We should do this um, constantly by uh, while observing cycle time. The cycle time is uh, the time that the cards spends on the board before being completed, actually. Uh, so the, the shorter the cycle time, the better, of course. So while while we monitor the metrics and we see the cycle time growing, it most likely means we have work piling up on the board, which we should inspect, refine the workflow, limit some cells or some queues to, to make sure we don't um, overload the bottleneck and uh, do this all the time. Cool. And I just want to touch on another one of your tips, which was um, converting hippos to hippos. Now, you can't, you have to read the post to understand this, but it's basically about the highest paid person's opinion, uh, changing, uh, changing their opinion mattering to the highest probability option uh, so that you're using real data to drive decision making. Um, and now I'm curious, I'm curious as to how this plays into your team and your role, probably, um, as the CEO. I'd hope you're one of the highest paid people in the company. But, um, how do you, what would your advice be to your own team, uh, being told to back down on, <laughs> on something? Um, how would you, cause I think it's really difficult when you're actually in the team and you're saying, well, you know, it's not about the highest paid person's opinion. Uh, let's look at, Let's look at what the data says. Um, how do you, as, as a as a CEO, how would you tell your team uh, to present that to you? Uh, that's tough, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I made so many mistakes uh, in our company to get to this um, enlightenment. Um, that, that it's really a, a lot of money being thrown on, on, on the garbage. So what, what I, I, I try to do with our teams, whenever I hear somebody taking a decision out of their guts yeah. without any data being presented, without any data being observed, I would immediately start questioning and challenging them um, to the point where where they, they ask themselves, okay, how did I arrive at this conclusion in the first place? Can I take a more informed decision? Uh, and it's quite natural for people to want to be right. Yeah. Everybody wants to be right. Yeah. yeah. So we we come up with a proposal and we immediately believe that it's the best proposal on the planet. And I'm I'm particularly uh, opinionated person. I think most CEOs are. So if I if I argue with somebody from my team. Well, guess what? I always win <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless there's data. And when there's data and when the data is sticked in my face, then if, if you are a little bit reasonable, at least, uh, then the argument changes. So I, I've kept repeating hundreds of times for, to my teams, hey, guys, let's not take decisions out of our guts. And um, these are just opinions. We, we all have opinions. And if you want to compare your opinion with my opinion, you always lose. So you better have data. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it's it's kind of working. It's it's a transition period. It's taken us a lot of time. I think it's our second or third year trying to completely in, in, in engrave this into our DNA as a company. It's real, real tough thing to do, but uh, we believe in it, and it's just. 
um, practice that needs to happen 10,000 times and will then get it. So uh, the, the short the short answer is that um, you have to be super persistent with that. Yeah. You, you must you must require data and if you slip um, then um, it will be painful. We've done this many times. Yeah. So just to finish if if um, obviously your post is all about business agility and how Kanban can be great at powering that business agility. So for someone who's maybe uh, wanting to dip their toe in the water with Kanban, what do you think is a good starting point? I mean, you talked earlier about, um, you know, Kanban accepts, you know, the the place where you start becoming more agile is where you're at. And it doesn't need to necessarily mean you need to introduce these wholesale changes um, to your process immediately. But what are, what are the first steps to becoming more agile through a Kanban approach? I would say there are two or three very important things. One of the very important things is to visualize your work. This is something that we all can do. We don't have to be Kanban experts yeah. to visualize our work. You just find a way to do it. Uh, the physical board is the obvious first choice. You just have a sticky notes. You have the sticky notes, you have the board, you have some magnets, you, you draw a few columns with a marker, you have it in two minutes. So there's really no excuse not to visualize your work. Um, and that's, of course, if, you, if there's any source of dissatisfaction. If there's no source of dissatisfaction, if, if everything is perfect, then why bother? But if, right. if there's any problem that you want to solve, then step number one, visualize your work. Step number two, limit work in progress somehow. At least um, start where you are. If you visualize everything and you have 100 projects in, uh, in progress, put a, a whip limit of 100. It's ridiculously mm-hmm. high, but at least it acknowledges that uh, what's truly happening. And then start trying to decrease that number of projects in progress until yeah. um, things get better. And step number three, if not step number one, even uh, I would advise people to get some high-quality Kanban training. Um, We are partners of Kanban University. That's the certification authority behind Kanban. It's a a worldwide organization with hundreds of trainers. Uh, I would highly recommend getting such training. Uh, It might be a a little bit expensive if you train your entire company, but at least the key people... Uh, I would say should have uh, this formal training. Nice. And I think, yeah, I think what, uh, what's really valuable there, what you're talking about is that first step of visualizing the current workflow and identifying the pain points. Mm-hmm. Um, it sound, it can sound like, well, this is really, really tough. Um, but actually once you get into it, um, it can be, uh, it's definitely rewarding at least for you to map out with your team, and what you might find is that different people think that the current process um, is actually different things in terms of the way that work moves through the organization. Maybe it's moving from strategy through UX design, uh, build, QA, release. Um, what you'll probably find is that different people think different things happen in terms of the approval process or review cycles. Um, so it's really useful uh, thing to do is firstly just visualizing your process I think is a is a really good tip and there you can more easily identify those pain points where's where are things going wrong where are things getting bottlenecks um, and that can then 
help you think about, okay, well, how do we limit the work in progress so we can increase the throughput? So um, thank you, Dimitar. That's super helpful. And if you want to check out Kanbanize, go to kanbanize.com. We'll stick it in the show notes. Uh, but Dimitar, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great having you with us. Thanks, Ben. appreciate the offer. Uh, it was uh, really fun talking to you. I enjoyed the conversation. Let's keep it up. Yeah. And if you want to learn more and get ahead in your work, come and join our tribe with DPM membership. Head to the digitalprojectmanager.com forward slash membership to get access to our team, templates, workshops, AMA sessions, office hours, ebooks, and more. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and stay in touch on the digitalprojectmanager.com. But until next time, thanks so much for listening.